Hi there, and welcome to the Beatle Brothers Podcast. Brian and Joe Flynn are from Ireland. They're lifelong Beatles fans. In this series of podcasts, they reflect on the life and times, the influence and the immortal music of the Fab Four. This is an essential listen for all fans of the Beatles. Hi, you're very welcome to the latest in the series, The Beatle Brothers. A series of podcasts in which myself, Brian Flynn, and my brother, Joe Flynn, explore all things Beatles and Beatles-related. And today we're going to talk about, uh, I suppose, the greatest weapon the Beatles had in their army was the songwriting duo of Lennon and McCartney, probably never rivaled and never will be. But in the period where the Beatles existed, let's say 1962 to 1970, there were also an awful lot of great songwriters in bands and not in bands. In that particular period, it was a very, very fertile period for songwriting. And I thought we we thought that we kind of look at what we loosely term as the competition today. That would be uh, other songwriters, other bands who compared or almost compared to the Beatles. Would that be a fair way to put it, Joe? Yeah, it sounds about right. Um, it was it was an um, interesting interesting exercise. Looking forward to it. Um, mm. We'd have to fess up here and admit that for the first time we've never done any research um, for these podcasts up to now. Maybe we've checked a couple of uh, track listings on albums, but apart from that, but this time we have had to to go back and delve into the the old Doctor Google machine. Um, just purely to get, and this is the fascinating thing that some of the acts we're going to talk about there, they were so prolific that you really have to, you've, you've got to go and you, you're, you're surprised when you do go in to look at the, at the material. Yeah, did, yeah. Right. did you find that? I I mean, agree. Yeah. We, we split them up and, and you took some and I took some. Um, and I, I found that certainly. I took the good ones and you took the rest. Yeah, well, <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's the way the cookie crumbled, kiddo. Anyway, listen, I'll give you the, I'll give you the, the, uh, I'll give you the lead on the first one, so away you go. Okay. Well, uh, we, we I, I think we both kind of agreed on this as well, that, that if, if you're talking about comparing Lennon and McCartney or anyone that would be on the same level, probably there is only one, or more accurately, one springs to mind quickest anyway, and that would be Bob Dylan. Yeah, agreed. Okay. And Bob, Bob, Bob Dylan was... If, if, without even mentioning any of his songs, and I don't want to give lists of songs, that's kind of boring. Everybody knows the songs. If you're into this, you'll know the songs these people wrote. But, but the influence that Bob Dylan exerted on, on the 60s is comparable, although maybe not level with that that the Beatles exerted. Now, he wrote songs. That, I mean, he, he defined the early 60s in a way. The times they are a change and blown in the wind. They, these are all, the, you know, the new order. He also wrote Mr. Tambourine Man, Just Like a Woman, uh, Like a Rolling Stone, which was, was broke a lot of ground for various reasons. The first single that was nearly five minutes long, I think. Um, uh, he wrote uh, it, ain't, uh, it Ain't Me You're Looking For, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, The Mighty Quinn. The list can go on and you could, you could give 20 or 30 great songs that he wrote. And that's not going through the albums. Uh, but he also, uh, he was... I think influence went over and back between Dylan and the Beatles. And they definitely influenced him because one of the big stories of Dylan was, was going electric, as they say, which he did in Newport Festival. And that was probably influenced by the Beatles to a large extent. He influenced them then, especially John Lennon, probably John Lennon more than anyone else, uh, uh, with lyrics. And Lennon even wore the Dylan, the Bob Dylan cap for a while, you know, that peak tail, as did Donovan. Uh, and of course, Le- uh, Dylan dressed up in sort of beetle boots and that. So there was a great 
great cross influences going on there. So I think he, he deserves to be the first one that is up. And if not exactly on a par with the Beatles, certainly very close. I would, I, yeah, I would, I would agree with all of that. <clears throat> um, I would even say that maybe of all the ones that we're looking at, and, and as we go down to it now, uh, the, the, the list is very impressive. But I think he's about the only one that would be on a par. I'd say he probably is on a par. The other thing to remember is that we're specifically dealing with a period of 62 to 70. Yeah, it's a nature period. Yeah. It's a nature period because that's the, that's the period that the Beatles operated uh, on. That's, that's when they wrote their Beatles music. Um, and a lot of acts that, that, that started out in the 60s and developed and, and, and blossomed in the 70s and even later um, and became household names. We're not including them for the simple reason that it's just during this period that the Beatles were operating. But Dylan is one of the exceptions in that he did produce a body of work, even, the, even in that eight-year period. So I, I'd say, yeah, he's definitely, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad and not a bit surprised that he's the first one of your list that you went with. Um, it's good, yeah, good choice, yeah. good choice. Um, I, I'm so gonna, you're up next, Joe. Yeah, I'll, I'll start off with, with, uh, with a bunch of songwriters that mightn't be that well known to people. But they know their work for sure. Um, mm. The songwriting team of Holland Dozer Holland, um, which were two two brothers, Brian and Eddie Holland, and a guy called Lamont Dozier, um, and they were distinctive because they they wrote almost exclusively for black artists, and they they, had they, they were the Motown writers, weren't they? Yeah, they, 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 were they wrote all the big to, to, to Barry Gordy's Motown label and the whole Detroit uh, uh, thing. Um, but if you include them and Smokey Robinson, you probably cover 70% of the Tamil Motown output during the 60s, which is phenomenal mm. when you consider it. They Amazing. Went, they had so many hits, yeah. yeah. They wrote primarily for two, two uh, outfits. One was the Supremes, Diana Ross and the Supremes, and the other were the Four Tops. And between those two, they had a, they had a huge amount of hits during the, the great singles during the 1960s. Yeah, well, the Beatles wrote the, most the, of them. The, the 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 Supremes had more hits, more number ones anyway, than anyone except Elvis and the Beatles. Yeah, and it was the quality. I mean, to mention a few, just Baby Love, uh, Stop in the Name of Love, and You Keep Me Hanging On, The Happening, Where Did Our Love Go, Nowhere to Run. Um, and and for, the, for the four tops, then virtually all of them can't help myself. The same old song, Reach a High with their Bernadette, Standing in the Shadows. These are all, these are all songs we remember uh, in the heyday of the classics, which, of course, was the, was the middle of the 60s. But they also wrote other stuff. Uh, they wrote some <coughs> stuff for Marvin Gaye, for Martha and the Vandellas. Um, why, why were they exclusively writing for uh, black artists? I suppose it was the times, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know as much as you do about Holland Dozier or Holland, but uh, I know that the, they, they were Motown writers. So Motown was an exclusively black uh, um, um, label. It still is, it still is. It, it, as I mean, labels are a bit different now, but it almost was, and uh, um, it, it was natural that they would write for black artists. It wasn't any kind of discrimination or any kind of apartheid musically. It was just the way it was. Yeah, there's a lovely little anecdote. I don't know whether you know about this, but and I believe this to be true. When Paul McCartney, and I believe Paul McCartney has admitted this, that he wrote uh, You Won't See Me, and he has admitted that he was a complete cog on the on Holland, Dozier Holland's um, It's the Same Old Song. And yeah. <laughs> funnily enough, 
the same old song was a, a complete cog of their previous single, which was I Can't Help Myself. Yeah. So they were all the same way. First. He cogged from them and then they cogged from themselves. <laughs> I suppose a lot, of, a lot of tributes going on. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, yeah, it's a good point. It's, it's can there be a better tribute from Paul McCartney than that he nicks one of your songs and, and copies it? Um, no, they were phenomenal. They, like I say, they mightn't be known to an awful lot of people who wouldn't have an interest in, in who was actually writing the material. Um, but they're up there, uh, whether they're at the status of, of, of Bob Dylan and, and McCartney and Lennon, I'm not sure. But they certainly did churn out uh, some great commercial music. They did. Now, you were talking there about nicking songs, which leads me, this is kind of one of these lovely little segues, leads me into the next act, uh, the Rolling Stones. Of whom I don't think I have to, to uh, introduce them to anybody. They would have been seen in the 60s in Britain, and in fact, worldwide, I think, as the only band that rivaled the Beatles. Would that be a fair thing to say? I think so. It, it, it is, it is. But it's actually... And I'll get killed for this because there's a huge cohort of Stone fans out there. They, I, I don't think they came up to that level, but certainly in terms of their early singles, they had some magnificent early singles. Um, well, I, I know we're not doing lists, but I'm just looking here. Just listen to this for a sec now. I won't do this too much. The last time, Satisfaction, Painted Black, Jumping Jack Flash, Ruby Tuesday, 19 Nervous Breakdown, Get Off of My Cloud, uh, Honky Tonk Women. I mean, they just the hits kept coming there. And it, when I said the nicking thing was that the first their their first number one, I think it was. And I stand up in the correction there was was uh, I saw her standing there, which in a way they nicked off the Beatles because the Beatles wrote it. Now they didn't nick it really because the Beatles sort of gave it to them. But uh, they were they were very influenced by the fact that the Beatles could write songs so fast and, and, and yeah. Uh, I I think probably particularly in the case of Mick Jagger, they were influenced by the fact that. You made a lot of money if you wrote the songs. But the, the songs okay. they wrote, they were a different band. They were blues-based, whereas the Beatles were rock and roll-based. But they, they, um, the songs they, they wrote... You made, you made another point uh, in one of the last podcasts, and it was really interesting, and it, it struck me, which was that the, one of the differences between the Beatles music, Beatles music and the Stones was that the Beatles had a, had a very cheery outlook by and large, was cheerful and it was optimistic, whereas the Stones uh, were more negative. Uh, I, I'd never thought about yeah. that. It's very true. Well, well, I mean, look, uh, good, good Day Sunshine, Beatles, Painted Black, Rolling Stones, you know, uh, the last time, you know, it's, it's, they did have, I mean, it was, it, it, it may have been helped by or emphasized more by their image. The Beatles had an image of a, a clean cut image, which was actually not quite true. The Stones had a, had a rough image, which was also not quite true. Uh, the Beatles were arguably a rougher bunch of guys than the Stones were, but uh, uh, it was it's part of the image. Yeah, there was a different. Uh, the Stones were modelled by their their uh, their manager Andrew Oldham uh, as a kind of a, a, a an anti-Beatles act, if you like. So oh, that that would have been part of it. Absolutely. It was the image. A lot of that was the image. But the songs stand up in the way that only classic songs can be judged. They still sound good today. They're still on the radio today, exactly like the Beatles songs are. Except there's not as many of them. No, but even even yeah, this could be the last time. You know, everything was negative. In fact, you know something, and and um, I've never thankfully I, I've I've never experienced depression in my life that I know of. But I know people who do, and it's it's a terrible plague. But I've always thought that if you if you 
if you wanted to pick a song that's that that's represented depression, painted black has to be it. If you listen to the lyrics of it, um, at least yeah. painted black, the lyrics of painted black would be my idea what depression must be. Uh, which is okay, it's getting a bit heavy, but I mean it, it, it's a great song, but we can't I, I can't let the stones pass without saying yes, you mentioned it earlier, satisfaction. The opening riff to satisfaction has to be one of the most familiar uh, riffs in, in the entire 1960s. I, I would agree. I, I would totally agree. I, I'm not 100% sure about the, the, most, uh, the song most dealing with depression. What about help? <laughs> but uh, but no, I'm only messing. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And it, it is very much a song of that age. And uh, yes, yeah, satisfaction would be, and even Jumping Jack Flash, even Hunky Tonk Women, they had great uh, uh, opening, uh, opening riffs. But of course, they were up against the likes of Day Tripper, Paperback Writer, I Feel Fine. Also, great opening race. Anyway, I would I would say the Stones. While not, uh, I think we would agree they're not on the level of the Beatles. They weren't even close. But they were they were they were worth being considered in the same uh, yeah, uh, no, list. Yeah, go along with that. I think that's I think that's a fair a fair uh, summary. Um, then for something different, slightly different anyway, uh, an American songwriter, Paul Simon. More familiar to the world is half of Simon and Garfunkel. But he did all, he, as far as I know, he did all the writing. I don't think Art got into the writing of the, of the songs at all. But he was a very, he, we have decided to put him in this list because of his output during that period. He, he, he was a, his career was a bit peculiar, at least I think it is. You know more about him. That he, he's, a, he's an American. He's a New Yorker. I think, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. unlike most, I mean, the the market in America was massive, where it wasn't particularly that big in England. But he and a lot of English bands and artists went to the states. Well, he actually took the opposite uh, journey in 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 his early career, didn't he? He did, yeah. But, but this was before he was famous or anything like that. He came over to England to uh, to play the. You see, it was the folk clubs were a big thing in England in those days, and he wanted to learn the the the, the guitar style of, of those English acoustic players, John Renburn and people like that, Martin Carthy and all those kind of guys. And he did. He even wrote a, a, the song "Homer Bound." I'm sitting in a railway station. That was in England. Yeah, so he did. He came to England to sort of to to perfect his trade and and pay his dues and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 He he. It's 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 funny. Um. Was he folk, Brian? Um, you you couldn't categorize him as folk. Uh, no, but the folk, yeah, folk, folk background. But but pop, uh, he was he was pop. I mean, the Simon Garfunkel. But we see the, the word pop is kind of it, it's it's almost criminalized nowadays. But a good pop song, yeah, it's a very well, difficult thing. He certainly has. If you if you if you just think of some of the songs, the sound of silence, Mrs. Robinson. Homer Brown, which you mentioned, which is a, which is a beautiful song. I am a rock. Um, of course, there's the whole bridge over troubled waters thing, which which was it was towards the end of the of the period that we're talking about. But I think recording of that album began in in 1968, didn't it? Oh yeah, no, it was it was the 60s, yeah. But uh, um, uh, it was actually released in January 70, but but it's a 60s production, definitely. But uh, yeah, a great album, absolutely brilliant. And I mean, it's worth pointing out that a lot of people will say, what do you support about Graceland and all these? Paul Simon got kind of revved up really in the 60s and he's still a relevant artist today. So he did an awful lot of stuff later than the 60s. But he, he I would agree, he's a, he's a very influential songwriter, yeah. 
Yeah, for that particular period. In fact, interestingly enough, I, I, I noticed only very recently he has sold his um, entire song catalogue to some of these guys that are wiping Sold his soul, Joe, for rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. He's entitled to it. He paid his chops, didn't he? Well, how would he compare to the next guy I'm going to mention, who's also an American, but from the other coast, from California? I suppose the moment I say that, it's obvious. Uh, the, the, the sound, the, the possibly the, the biggest, I said that the biggest uh, uh, competition for the Beatles in, in Britain and Europe was the Stones. In America, it definitely would have been the Beach Boys. And yes, the Beach Boys, in a way you could say they were sort of one-trick ponies, but they did have a good songwriter, a great songwriter, uh, Brian Wilson. He wrote, I get around, you know, Little Juice Coop, uh, uh, Fun, 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 Surfing USA. And then some great songs in the mid-60s, like uh, uh, Good Vibration, and, and the one I would always go back to, uh, God Only Knows. And he had others then, Do It Again, and, and stuff like that. Uh, a great songwriter, but but sort of limited in 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 where he sent his songs. They were all for the one band. And, and they, uh, I don't think there were that many covers of his music. Like, there would have been covers of... of Paul Simons are, of course, covers of the Beatles. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, he can be slightly overrated, I think, in some ways. But he did, the good songs he wrote were really good. Yeah, but I mean, you, we, we, a little, a little, uh, a little knowledge from behind the scenes. When we, when we were discussing this and making this list, um, we did have, well, I, I did have a slight problem with Brian Wilson um, because mm. he's, he's, People assume, you know, if you think about it, you say, oh, yeah, of course, Beach was Brian Wilson. And and the whole thing about him trying to outdo uh, Lennon McCartney around the around the revolver rubber soul period um, and the whole pet sounds and all of that. But actually, he, he he certainly was responsible for a series of great singles. But you you put your finger on it for me. He, he was a bit one dimensional. He whether it was because he was writing exclusively for one band or other, but he wasn't very diverse. Now, he, he did write to what I would regard as, as one of the, probably the most beautiful piece of music that I've ever heard as in, as in uh, Latter-day music. And that is God Only Knows. I think it's as perfect a piece of music as you could possibly mm. imagine. But, you know, one swallow and all of that, uh, we, 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 we have put him in, but, you know, we also talked about people like the Bee Gees who, again, you know, came huge, massive in the 70s with the whole disco thing. But even in the 1960s, the Bee Gees had a certain call to be on this list or they didn't make it. Yeah. But well, I, you see, this is the thing with the list. You're never going to be able to put everybody on that you that you want. We could, we, 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 we kind of do a quick uh, honourable mentions thing maybe at the end of, of other people that might oh, have been. Indeed. Oh, indeed. Yeah, but no, I, I, I agree that Brian Wilson should be there. Um for just for the singles, really, he 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 produced one one uh, album, which I don't know. I I I, I never saw the, the I never saw the, the, the all the fuss was was justified about it at all. But you know, it's a bit mm. like uh, there was good songs on it, but 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 uh, uh, and like one of the more memorable songs on it that people always remember, Snoop John B. Of course, wasn't a Brian Wilson song. But yeah, I think we we leave him on the list anyway. Who have you got next? I've got. I'll tell you who I've got next. Somebody that I, I, I rate this guy hugely. Now, again, a lot of people may not know the name Ray Davies. Um, but Ray was the, the songwriter who, who uh, played with the band called The Kinks. 
Now, the Kinks have a great reputation and they'd be quite famous, especially in England and over in Europe. Uh, maybe not so much in America because without going into the whole history of the band, they did have a problem. They, they went to America like all the others of the time did to, to get into the hugely bigger market. But it's, it didn't work out for one reason or another. They had trouble, shall we say. And they had to retreat and they came back to England. And I think that had an, an influence. They began as a, as a rock, as a rock band, essentially. Um, and their, their early, their early material was, was, you know, things like, um, all day and all of the night, tired of waiting. You really got me. You really got me. You really got me. Yeah. Till the yeah. end of the day. They influenced heavy metal. I, I've often read, you know, that they, a lot of the big metal bands like, uh, Metallica and those kind of bands, they say that the Kinks were a huge influence. Really? Those early singles, that. I mean. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. yeah, they were. And then, then like, I, I think a funny thing happened to Ray when they, when they came back to England. He sort of became very Englified. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> yeah. Great word, Englified. I love it. He started writing about uh, things quintessential English, um, well-respected man and dedicated follower of fashion, things like this. Great, great songs, um, and I, I, I suppose you could say that that culminated in in the in the album, the Village Green Preservation Society, which which gained a certain amount of notoriety as well. I, I never quite a little overrated, it. I think. Yeah, I, I never quite quite saw it myself, but I'm I'm willing to believe that it is a classic. The singles, the mid-period singles, were the things with him. I would say the Waterloo Sunsets. Sunny afternoon and all of those. Well, I would say that if you, if, if, and we've often done it, if you, if you threw up five songs that immediately, at the beginning of the, will immediately come to mind for the mid 60s, he'd, he'd have possibly two in Sunny Afternoon and Waterloo Sunset. Um, two very similar songs. And even, even possibly three. What about Days? Thank you for the yeah. days. Great song. Well. Days. Lola. Lola, not a bad song. Lola's not a bad song. That was the very tail end of the 60s. Dead End Streets, great song back in the mid-period as well. Actually, they had a lot. Mention, funny you mentioned Dead End Street because something that I've always uh, has always fascinated me about this guy that, you know, at, around that period, he he was he was uh, the leader of a, of, a, of a rock and roll band. He was, he was very famous. Uh, he had just about everything going for him as a young man. I'm not sure what age he was, but let's say he was in his mid to late 20s. And yet at the same time, this guy was able to write a song like Dead End Street, which is relevant. It's as, re it's as relevant today as it was the day he wrote it. And it will be forever, I say, unfortunately. But that he could put himself in the place of somebody who had no work, who had no money, who couldn't get out of the situation, the dead end street he was in. He couldn't emigrate because he had no means of doing it. I mean, I find it fascinating that a guy like that could could be writing that while he was living the life. I mean, he was never a mad a mad raver, but do you know he had a lot of adulation and he was in a great. Oh yeah, I think his songs are very influential. Like you mentioned, the Dead End Street. There's Shangri La is an amazing song. We listened to the lyrics of it. Also, well respected man. Then he did the ultimate lampoon on the whole Carnaby Street and the fashion London, yeah. swinging London with dedicated follower of fashion. Which is a great song. I, I think he deserves to be there. I know he's a personal favourite of mine. The Kinks, I think, um, are probably an underrated band historically. Uh, I think bands like The Doors, for example, get, you know, they would be regarded in a lot of quarters as, as, as a much higher profile band. I don't Not with me. That. No, no, I, I'm, I'm only just citing them. It's just they come to mind now as we talk. But 
No, really. It overrated was the doors. Overrated. Yeah, I closed the door, Brian. Um, who's your next? <laughs> Close the door on your way out, Jim. <laughs> Where are you going next? Okay, next, uh, uh, we're talking, uh, a lot of British people on this list, so people might disagree, but that's the way we're doing it. Uh, the next is Pete Townsend, and there's no doubt about that. People would have heard of the band here. They definitely did. The Who, one of the biggest bands in the 60s in the world. And uh, again, the songs, you know, like, I mean, one song stands out here straight away, of course, in my generation. But there was also great songs like Kids, uh, The Kids Are All Right, uh, I'm a Boy. And he tackled some very unusual uh, uh, subjects with these yeah, songs. I'm a boy about, about, like, I'm a boy, a very controversial little song. Even more so, Pictures of Lily. I can't even go into that. It has to be, <laughs> this is a family. Oh, no, don't, don't. <laughs> uh, there was a Magic Bus. There was I Can See for Miles. There was a Pinball Wizard, of course, classic song. There was also The Seeker. Okay, there was yeah. a Happy Jack. There was a, a, lot, a great amount of songs. And uh, they, they were very good songs. They were like, like Ray Davis. They, 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 they were, he, he, he was doing commentary on, 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 on the world in the way that Lennon kind of did more than McCarthy and the Beatles. <clears throat> they were um, further songs. And also, for, I know we're talking songs completely, but but uh, as a group and as a style and as live performers and everything, the Who were massively influential, I would say. Yeah, they were. They were a great band. Um, they were. They were heavy. They were. They were heavy. They were loud. Uh, but but having said that, I agree with you. The the songs had content in them. Um, yeah, I mean, Pete Townsend. In some ways, you could well, you, you couldn't compare him, but he, he's comparable on some levels to Ray Davies in that he's. An English guy making comments on life as it was in the 60s and uh, everything he saw growing up and uh, a band that, that's able to transform his songs into, into the sound that you heard. Uh, he's all that controversial guy, you'd have to say, but, uh, but an excellent songwriter. Absolutely. Had he any influence on the Beatles? I think he had. Wasn't it John, John Lennon claimed that John claimed that it was a paperback writer featured the first feedback. Um, but No, I feel Yeah. What was it? I feel fine. Was the I feel feedback. fine. Sorry, yeah, but Pete, I think, disputed that, claiming that he had, he had produced feedback. He, long he before that. I mean, lots of people could dispute that because, uh, and then without going into it, Jeff Beck did all that kind of stuff earlier, and and Pete did as well. It was what con controlled feedback, but but uh, anyway. So um, yeah, I put Pete Townsend up there. We have, how many more? Well, we have a few more, yeah. Well, I've got, I've got a last one, and I think you've got a last one. Um, <laughs> for those of you who are listening to this and are going, why are they not talking about Burt Bacharach? Well, we're going to talk about Burt Bacharach. Um, Burt Bacharach, again, it's a bit like Holland, Ozzy Holland. Uh, some people might, not, not that many people might recognize him um, because he didn't perform. The, he didn't Sorry. perform the music himself, but... Uh, he was a gifted songwriter. He 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 wrote songs with Al David. David, was it? Um, yeah, he was the lyricist, as far as I know. Yeah, I think he was. Whether he whether he was the lyricist on all the songs or not, but this is a deviation uh, in comparison with the rest of the list because you know there's a similarity between say Jagger Richards and and say Pete Townsend, and that you can imagine one writing some of the stuff like My Generation or Street Fighting Man that you could swap them over and you could still see. But yeah, yeah. things like uh, This Guy's In Love With You, um, Do You Know The Way To San Jose? 
One yeah. of the surely one of the top songs of the sixties. Do you know the way to sound nothing? Which you can't imagine any of those other guys having written that. But this guy with, with the with the with the very possible exception of McCartney. Well, that's interesting comment. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you if listen to Martha, my dear, uh, for no one, songs like that. There's a touch, but he didn't have quite the structure, the the, the breadth that that Burt Bacharach had musically. No. Yeah, um, 24 hours from Tulsa, uh, between Pitney. Yeah, yeah. What a what a beautiful walk on by. Um, even crazy things like like uh, watch new Pussycat and uh, and raindrops keep falling in my head. I didn't realize he wrote that. I'm not putting that it up. Did on. what about the the magic moments for Perry Como? That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that was earlier, but but. And it, what was the other the, uh, wishing and hoping? That was who was Dusty that? Springfield. Dusty yeah, Springfield, yeah. Oliver. Yeah, he. The look of love. The look of love for Dusty Springfield. Really, one of the sexiest songs ever. Yeah. When when we when we talked about him initially, you said he was the quintessential nineteen sixties song. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I I would argue that you could push it back even to the fifties because I, I can I can imagine. Some of the even people like Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, or any of the well, Perry Cuomo did obviously one of his biggest hits, Magic Moment. But you can imagine them singing these songs. I can't imagine uh, Frank Sinatra singing Street Fighting Man. It doesn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't work. It, it was sell a million if, he, if it was ever released. I can't, it'd be a very interesting version. But uh, yeah, no, I know what you mean. I mean, Burt Bacharach is, you You had two very interesting people in your list. One is Holland, goes your Holland, which I agree with. And also Burt Bacharach. And I mean, he, we didn't even mention lots of the songs he wrote. Like, oh, there's something there to remind me, which is a hit for, for, um, yeah, uh, 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 for uh, Sandy Shaw in Britain and Dionne Warwick in America. And there was Wishing and Hoping for, for Dusty Springfield. There was, uh, you know, there's just so many playing. great songs. Hmm? Trains and boats and planes. Yeah, which oh, was, I'll tell you big, one. I'll tell you one. There's a big best. connection there, Joe. It was a big hit for Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, and their other big hit was a Beatles song. So there you go. Yeah, you can find these things. the The one that we forgot was uh, "I Say a Little Prayer." I mean, that's that to me. It, yeah. yeah, it just defines the '60s for me as well. Uh, um, I love it. Well, yeah, well, he, now, he, he, he deserves to be there. I think. Uh, he does, yeah. What I was going to say is that I, I know I have one left, and it's one that I know a lot of people are going to say, what? Who? <laughs> but I'll explain briefly. Uh, his name is Roy Wood, <clears throat> and the band he was with was called The Move. Now, people in Britain will have heard of The Move big time, not so perhaps in America. And yes, he's on this list because he wrote a lot of great songs, uh, Night of Fear, uh, I Can Hear the Grass Grow, which Jimi Hendrix said was one of the best songs he ever heard, very influential. Uh, he wrote Fire Brigade, he wrote Omnibus, Carly. Now, a lot of people might know these songs, but they were all big hits in the 60s, and they're, and they're very well worth, worth checking out if you don't know them. Uh, the biggest one possibly would then would have been uh, Blackberry Way. Rain. Flowers in the Rain, of course, as well, Blackberry Way. There were uh, there was a lot of great songs. He he's kind of the the joker in the pack, if you like, with this of ten songwriters or whatever the amount they are. In that, I, I do think a lot of people would say, "Geez, so I would." But if I could suggest to anyone from this, check somebody out. It would be Roy Wood, and the band he was with. Again, they wouldn't be on a par with 
the other bands we've mentioned here, and yet they were very good and very influential and a great group, uh, The Move. And, and, and there is another sort of a roundabout connection to the Beatles here in that Roy Wood also founded a band called, which everyone will have heard of, called Electric Light Orchestra, with Jeff Lynn, who was in The Move in the latter period of The Move. So, and of course, Electric Light Orchestra were really took, what's this, somebody said they, 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 they took Abbey Road and made a career out of it, you know, that kind of a way. Yeah. So uh, I would put Roy Wood in. Now, I, I'm, I'm quite aware that people will say, ah, give me a break, Roy Wood, and you didn't put in the birds or you, whoever it might be, you know. But there's a, there's a lot of... Did we say we were going to do honourable mentions? Yeah, do we, 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 we... I mean, we'd have to, Brian, in all fairness, we'd have to give the old honourable mention. But before we do that, I think there's something else we have to, to, to own up to here. And it wasn't that we, 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 you know, we're not misogynistic in any way, <laughs> quite the opposite. But the truth is, there is no... <laughs> quite <female>. the opposite. <laughs> There's no female in this entire list. <laughs> we looked, believe, believe me, folks, we looked, we looked. And, and people, people, I'm sure, are screaming, saying, well, what, are you, what about Joni Mitchell? The truth is, Joni Mitchell... Joni Mitchell will be in any any top five list, probably the top female uh, songwriter that, that I've ever enjoyed, um, but not during the period, the specific period. We did have honourable mentions. We made a, a list, if you want to comment on anything before we finish up. Uh, one was the Mamas and the Papas. We mentioned Donovan. Yeah. Uh, we well, mentioned Donovan Steve Marriott and Danny Lane from the uh, Small Faces. A very honourable mention for them because they had several great hits in the sixth. It did indeed. Um Jimmy Webb. Uh oh yeah. yeah. Big, big, big time. Yeah. Yeah. But it but he he stretched on into into, you know, he he certainly did have some in that period, but there were, he also had some later. Um Goff and King, which were well you see there's there's you, you were saying there was no women. There's a woman for you, Carol King. Yeah, yeah. Don't be blaming me it's, now. You, we talk. <laughs> I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming. No, Goffin King definitely. They they had some lovely, lovely songs. I mean, you could, you could. I'm just off the top of my head. You could put Neil Diamond probably in there in the honourable mentions right, as yeah. well. And we did mention if the only, if only for the monkeys, if nothing else. Yeah, we 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 did discuss uh, the VGs, uh, but you know they they did go on to to do to do great things in the seventies. Well, it depends on your point of view, but um. Look, that's, that, that's it. So did we come up with um, the right uh, nine plus the Beatles being 10 acts? Well, you, it's up to you people that are listening to decide. Did we agree between us that there is any of them that could on a par with the Beatles? I think we did. I think we, we found one. Dylan. The only and one. it's hard yeah. to argue against Dylan. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good though. Uh, um, yeah, we didn't yeah. talk much about it's strange podcast. We didn't talk much about the Beatles, but it, it, I think it all relates. It was all going on during their time. Okay, until the next time. 